The following is a message from Hope Chapel in Austin, Texas. Now, here's today's teaching. Good morning, Hope Chapel. My name is Gino Hildebrandt. All right, very good. That's many for the guests. So, um, I'm just watching around here. So, this morning we begin a series of, uh, yes, begin a series of uh, talks on Advent, which is told, in my opinion, largely from the view of women. So, I've asked three uh, women teachers to come and present. And this morning, we have the great uh, privilege of uh, hearing from uh, Amy Cogdale, uh, who I consider a good friend. Uh, She and her husband, Thomas, I've known them as long as I've been in Austin. Um, anyway, so I could say a number of things about Amy, but she's really smart and really fun to, to talk to. So other than that, would you welcome Amy Cogdell? Thank you. Good morning. You all look fuzzy, but I decided I had to have my glasses, so... So as I, um, as I was preparing to come this morning, I just had this great sense of fullness and richness because I realized it's been 30 years since I first started coming to Hope Chapel this year. And um, some of you don't know this, but um, I met my husband Thomas here at the Hope Chapel youth group when the Knoxes and the Tucheks were leading our group. They're still around too. And... Um, the playground was installed when we were teenagers, and soon I am going to get to push my first grandchild on the swings. <laughs> Yay! Now, I don't want to brag, but I do believe the Cogdells are going to be the first Hope Chapel family to have four generations in attendance. Yay! <laughs> so I, um, I really, really do love this place. And to borrow a a phrase from the Psalms, I love its very bones. Because in this building, I've learned scripture. I've learned to worship. I've been prayed for. I've been served. I've been prophesied over. I've been corrected. And I love this place. I've been married. I was married here. So, though you are fuzzy this morning, when when I look at you, when I think about you, when I think about all the other dear Christian brothers and sisters who have shaped my life, I I feel this echo in my soul. It's like a reverberation of the praise, which Revelation describes as the sound of many waters. I love that phrase, the sound of many waters. Um, when I, when I imagine that, I imagine every little life running along in its own little stream, its own course, playing its own tune, but eventually they all run together in this big Niagara Falls of praise and worship on the day that Christ returns. I love that image. So I love the waterfall, but I also love the little streams, and, um, and I love to marvel how God gives each one of us a unique song. Yeah, but the funny thing is about our unique song, we can't learn to sing it on our own. We have to learn to sing from spiritual mothers and fathers, from sisters and brothers. They all teach us. They all call forth our own voice. And so that's another reason I'm so thankful for you, and I'm so thankful for Scripture, because Scripture is like the great songbook that we all learn from, right? 
and um, and I'm thankful for the songs of the saints that are recorded in the scripture. And today I want to pick out one of those songs, um, one of those songs, and and um, it's a song that's really close to my heart. It's a song of a spiritual mother who I feel like has ignited my own heart and called forth my own song. And the woman I'm speaking about is Anna the prophetess. Now, Anna appears, along with Simeon, in the second chapter of Luke, when Jesus is only eight days old. And their appearance is very brief but pivotal. Do we have a picture up there? Yay! Okay. So if you allow me to continue this metaphor just a little further... Anna and Simeon come on stage and sing this beautiful duet that links the Old Testament with the New Testament and, and um, picks up this, you know, the songs of the prophets and say, this, this baby, that's what the prophets were singing about. So if you look at this picture, um, Anna is the old woman in the background. You can hardly see her up there. Can you see her way back in the background? Yeah. Yeah, I've got a better picture of her later, don't worry. But but there she is, way in the background. I I couldn't resist this picture, though, because of the pigeons. (laughs) I just, I love the pigeons. And we're going to get back to Anna and Simeon, but I've just got to talk about the pigeons for a minute. Is that okay? (laughs) So this whole scene comes about when Jesus is eight days old. And Joseph and Mary have brought Jesus to the temple to fulfill two laws. They're going to circumcise Jesus this day. But Mary also is going to bring an offering for her firstborn son. And the offering, which is required, you can read about in Leviticus 12. But the interesting thing about this offering is that what's required is a lamb. That's the required offering. But then the law says if a, if a family cannot afford a lamb, they're allowed to bring two pigeons. And I just think that is so beautiful and so fitting <laughs> because Mary and Joseph were poor. Jesus came into poverty. And <laughs> God entrusted the greatest gift he could possibly give mankind to a poor family. And, and it's right because we humans are poor. He gave his only son the one who would become the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world, the one who would take away the need for sacrifice. And what could we offer in return? Two pigeons. (laughs) Two pigeons. And God in his mercy said, yes, I will take it. (laughs) And I just think that that's so so characteristic of God, the wealth of his generosity, the poverty of our offering. But anyway, that's not the point of my story. (laughs) All right. Okay, back to Anna and Simeon. Um, We're going to cover a lot of scripture because, like I said, Anna and Simeon are connecting the Old Testament with the New Testament. So in order to understand what they're saying, we've got to hear... Um, some of the Old Testament prophecies. So I've got some readers who can come up here who are better readers than I am. So <laughs> would you come on up and, and read? Readers? Readers read. Okay. So these, um, our readers are going to tell us the story of Anna and Simeon and then read us some prophecy. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, 
looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanael, of the tribe of Asher. She was a She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. I'm sorry, of Jerusalem. There's a lot in that passage we could talk about, but I want to focus on one phrase this morning, and that one phrase is the consolation of Israel. Would you say it with me? Consolation of Israel. So Anna and Simeon were prophets, and they were watchmen who were waiting for the consolation of Israel. Um, it, the scripture says that Anna was, was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, but I believe those two ideas are the same. So what I want to ask today is what is the consolation of Israel and does it have any relevance to our lives? And to answer that question, we need to know a little bit of history. You all know that at the time of Jesus' birth, um, the land of Palestine was occupied by the Romans. Um, the Temple of Solomon had been destroyed years, centuries, centuries before, and the kingship, the royal line, had also been destroyed um, at that time. So Israel was taken into captivity. After 70 years, they were allowed to return, and they rebuilt a temple, but the, the kingdom was never restored. And even though there was no king on the throne of Israel, there was no throne of Israel, the prophets continued to speak about a king who was coming, who was going to be not only the king of Israel, but a king over the entire world, which is why Simeon says he will be a light to the Gentiles. Um, So I want the readers to come back up and read a little bit from some of these prophecies. And it's a little bit of reading, but I want you to know it's a tiny, tiny fraction of what's in Scripture. So here we go. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth 
in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth." And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of God, as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people, of him who shall be the nations, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So brothers and sisters, this is a small taste of the consolation of Israel. It's a kingdom of peace and justice, a kingdom where the wicked are punished and the righteous flourish a kingdom where there is no poverty and no violence. This is the vision that Anna and Simi were, were waiting for. And this is what my heart longs for, too. These scriptures stir in me such a longing that I am really not going to be at all satisfied until I lie down with a lion and pet his fur. Um, I don't know. I don't think you will be satisfied either. And... Paul says that all creation groans and waits for the fulfillment of these promises. The animals, the grass, the rocks, they all are longing for this day. So every year at Advent, when I read these passages, I just marvel at how they have come true. 
Jesus did preach the good news to the poor, and he is a light to the Gentiles, and his glory has reached the ends of the earth. That is all true. And we can experience the kingdom of God today, but not yet in its fullness. There is a hope which is still coming. Now, at the time of Jesus' birth, I would imagine that there were a lot of Jews, maybe most Jews, who had given up on a Messiah. Because they had waited a really, really long time. It's true they were living in their homeland again, but they had been living there for centuries, and they had faced a lot of persecution. In 150 B.C., there was a Greek ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes who tried to stamp out Jewish religion. And it's recorded that Jewish mothers who had their babies circumcised were put to death with their dead babies hanging around their necks. I imagine it was pretty hard to wonder where God was if then that happened. It's like it's hard for us to wonder, where was God during the Holocaust? Where was God when the typhoon hit the Philippines? Where was God when a dear friend died suddenly? There's a lot of pain and suffering in this world. And it's worth crying about. It's worth warning. I believe if we're honest, a lot of us Christians are in the same place as the first century Jews. We really wonder, is Jesus coming back? And we also wonder... If Jesus were to come back, could he fix it? I mean, could he really make it all right? I have a hard time imagining how that could happen. Because I've never seen a justice that's more than retribution. I've never seen a justice that actually consoles the victims. I've never seen a radical divine intervention into the affairs of humankind. I've read about them. But it's been a long time since the Exodus. It's been a long time since Jesus walked on this earth. And so I think it's hard to hope, with a real hope. I mean, we can assent to it. Yes, this is what our faith says, but the real burning hope like Anna and Simeon had, I think it's hard for us. But I want to ask you, what are your options? (laughs) Okay. One option, option A, youthful optimism. By golly, by our own efforts, we're going to go out and bring the kingdom of God to this earth, right? And, and I, I want to say, yes, that's true. We have important work to do, and people have done wonderful things. And I'm so thankful for Christians and, and other people of goodwill who have done wonderful things and blessed humankind. But there is a limit to what we can do. And those of you who have been in education or social work, right, you've hit that wall pretty quickly, right? Oh, evil will rear its head in the most civilized of places, right? Option two, despair and dark cynicism, right? You can do that with a sense of humor, sort of, or you can just despair, or you can, as I think we often do, just try to distance yourself from the suffering around you because it's too much. Option C, we can choose a hedonistic life. We can try to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? 
At various times in my life, I've found myself in all three camps. But I do not believe that any of these responses to suffering and injustice is what God desires. I believe that Anna and Simeon show us the way. They're pleading for our Savior to come quickly and set everything right. So do you have a second picture? The other one? Okay, there's a better picture of Anna. Now, Anna's the one with her hands up. She's rejoicing. When Anna was a young woman, still in her 20s, she caught a vision of this coming kingdom that was so beautiful and so compelling that there was nothing else in the world that mattered. She didn't want to be married. She didn't care about having kids. She wanted to be in the temple with God all day long. And I'll tell you that whatever she was seeing, whatever she was hearing in that temple must have been more vital than food and more energizing than sleep because you can't fast and pray for 60 years unless you're having fun. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) I believe that Anna was already experiencing the consolation of the Holy Spirit already in that place. She knew it. Now, I'm no Anna. I am a joyful housewife and mother. But when I was a little girl, this vision of God's kingdom caught my heart. And the more I learned about the awful pain of this world, the more I longed for Jesus to come back. And the more I studied scripture, the more daring my hopes became. So do you want to hear how crazy my hopes are? <laughs> okay. I believe that Jesus is such a great and powerful and glorious king that when he returns Nature itself is going to change. There's going to be no violence, no meat eating. (laughs) Polluted rivers will be clean again, and all creation will rejoice. I believe that Jesus will bring a peace so complete that all the nations will look to Jerusalem with joy and praise God for their Jewish king. Now that's crazy, isn't it? I believe he's going to bring a justice so deep that the victims of the Holocaust will rise up and say, Yes, you made that right. I believe he's going to bring a righteousness so broad that it will recompense the millions of African slaves who were captured and sold. I believe he's going to restore dignity and justice to the Native Americans. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. I have no idea when or how this will happen, and I'm not here to make any theological statements about new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. I don't know how they all fit together. But I believe that what God has in mind is going to satisfy us all deeply, and we'll say, yes, this was worth waiting for. So I can imagine what it must have been like for Joseph and Mary to walk into that temple and all of a sudden be enfolded in the brace of these two old prophets whom they have never met. Because Joseph and Mary were in a really interesting place. I mean, on the one hand, they had this incredible secret entrusted to them, a glorious, wonderful, joyful secret. But who do you think they could tell? (laughs) Right? And that's a burden. And they had another burden. Soon they were going to have to pack up everything in the middle of the night and leave, leave their family, leave their friends. That was a sorrow. And so when these two prophets came in, and they didn't say anything, but they knew. Anna and Simeon knew, and they started prophesying. It must have been such a balm to the hearts of Mary and Joseph. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> so I think that Anna and Simeon had eyes to see what no one else could see because they lived with one foot already 
and the reality of the coming kingdom. And I believe that that's their challenge to us today. How can we get one foot in the coming kingdom? How can we live with eyes like Anna and Simeon? Would you like to do that? Yeah. Okay. First thing we know about Anna and Simeon is that they knew the words of the prophets. The scripture had sunk deep into their hearts. It was living and active in them. If we want to draw near to God, that's a very good place to start. The prophetic books in the Bible, Isaiah, Daniel, Joel, Ezekiel, Revelation, and, and others, they record visions of this coming kingdom that are meant to inflame our hearts with love and longing. And so when you study them, it, it's fine. It's fine to do all the commentary and find out different people's interpretations, but the main point of them is to, to elicit longing in you. And so I love to talk with my children. It's like, how wonderful will it be to pet a lion? And do you think you could ever touch one of those seraphs? Do you think you would really want to? I don't know. <laughs> what do you think Ezekiel's wheels were? What is going on there? You know? So I love to talk with my children about these things. Another mystery which Anna grasps, which will lead us into that place of intimacy, is that God is a lover. She understood that God was a lover who wants to be loved. Um, And if you think about it, her act of service was pretty audacious. I mean, what made a Jewish nobody, um, a widow, on the fringes of society, think that her fasting and her prayers were going to bless the heart of almighty, omnipotent God? What made her think that? But she knew it. She knew it. And, and she did it. Because she knew that God was a lover. Jesus calls himself a bridegroom, right? He's a bridegroom longing for his bride. And if we are the bride, we should long for him, right? If, we're the, if he is longing to return, we should long for his return. We should not be content to put off the wedding forever and ever and ever, Right? When Thomas and I were first married, I hated for him to be gone. <laughs> and about in the afternoon, about an hour before I expected him home, I'd start hovering at the window and looking at all the cars and everyone that passed. Oh, I was so dejected. <laughs> um, thankfully, I'm a little more mature than that now because <laughs> my husband travels a lot. And when Thomas is gone, I change diapers, I pay bills, I do the laundry, I cook the meals. And I take care of family business. And taking care of family business is part of my commitment to my husband. It's one way I show my love and devotion to him. And if I fail to do those things, it would be a great stress to Thomas, and it would be um, a kind of betrayal. But the truth is, when Thomas comes home from a trip, more than a hot meal, more than a clean house, what he wants is his wife to come hugging him, embrace him with a kiss, say, I'm so glad you're home. How was your trip? That blesses Thomas's heart more than clean houses. I'm so glad because I can do that. (laughs) Uh, The amazing thing is that we are made in God's image. We long for affection. We long for embrace because it comes from God's heart. We wouldn't like that if it didn't come from God's heart. And so it's hard for us to imagine this, but that's what God wants from us. That's what Jesus longs. He longs for us to long for him. 
And, and as crazy as it sounds, the best thing we can do to prepare, prepare for his coming is to want him to come back. Oh. Now, in that place of longing, I believe God does give us significant, meaningful work to do. And it, it feeds our soul, and it does. It, it prepares the way of the Lord. It lifts up the valleys, and it brings down the mountains. It's important. But it has to come from that place of longing. So there's some in this room who are called to works of mercy, like feeding the poor and befriending prisoners. And you are called to that work because Jesus is a merciful king. Some of you are called to ministries of social justice, defending the orphan, preventing child abuse, working, um, working in our, our lawmaking bodies. And you're called because Jesus is a king of justice. Some of you are called as worship leaders and artists, and your ministry inflames the heart with longing, or perhaps your ministry breaks our heart and makes us see that this world is not right. It calls us to mourning and weeping. That is another aspect of, of Anna's ministry, mourning, weeping, fasting. And some of you are called to hidden lives of prayer and fasting, like Anna and Simeon. And in that secret place, the Holy Spirit will console you and give you words of comfort for other people, words of hope, words of prophecy. And so, as we all draw close to Jesus, he will, all, he will send his spirit for us to give us work that really does prepare his way. And on the day that he comes, if we're ready, right, we're going to be caught up in this great hallelujah chorus. Hallelujah, the Lord God Almighty reigns. It'll be thunderous, wonderful. And I want to end today by standing and, um, and joining our voices in, a, in an ancient proclamation. But before we do that, I just want to take a moment to pray, to pray for us all. Okay? So let's just take a moment. And Holy Spirit, I, I ask you to come and I would ask you to shed your light on the places of our heart that are fearful of longing for you, that are doubtful, that are afraid, that are in pain. Holy Spirit, I want to ask you now to begin a work in those places. I pray you begin talking to us about these fears and these pains, these obstacles to our desire for you. And I pray that during this Advent season that you would give us a vision of your coming kingdom and how you are going to right that wrong, how you are going to console us. I pray that you would be at, the, at work in each heart, each soul, throughout this season. Amen. Okay. So, um, 
In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we are going to proclaim our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed, which is an ancient, ancient creed of the church. I've, I've, just, I've extracted just the part about Jesus, um, which makes me feel a little bit heretical. But um, no, I do believe in, in God the Father and in the Holy Spirit, and in all the other things too. <laughs> all right? Okay, so let's stand. You have it up there? Ready? We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Amen. So as she's stepping down, would you reward Amy for that? That was tremendous, wasn't it? That was, a, that was a tremendous sermon. And Amy, you did start preaching there for just a few moments. That was really wonderful. She, was, she said, I'm a teacher, not a preacher. Well, I beg to differ. So uh, those of you that are prepared to pray with people, would you come down quickly now? I'm going to release us in just a moment. Just, Tim, you'll join me here. I know we have some from the Heart Ministry teams. Come down. If you would like for us to pray with you about any given thing, uh, we're here to do that. Uh, if your heart is heavy with some, something that's difficult, let us pray with you. Uh, if your heart is light and you just want to come rejoice with someone, we'd be happy to pray with you and rejoice with you in that as well. Uh, but please, uh, wherever it is that the Holy Spirit is doing business in your heart, uh, uh, don't leave without completing that work this morning. So we'll, we're here to, to walk with you in that. And uh, uh, Amy's message, its basic intent was to inflame our heart for the return of Jesus which was a tremendous way to begin the Advent season. So I'd like to um, uh, sing a chorus of, a, of one of the hymns that we typically sing at Christmas time to give uh, glory and honor to Jesus. Glory, come Lord Jesus. Say it again. One, two, three. Come Lord Jesus. Be dismissed. Amen. We hope the Lord has used this recording to instruct, encourage, and inspire you. For more information on Hope Chapel, or more sermons or seminars for download, go to hope.org. Thank you for listening.